Blog Talk Radio. Podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we take just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, as usual, back here on a, on a Wednesday evening, tonight we are having a special primetime broadcast time um, because we have a special guest. Our special guest uh, tonight um, is Sharif El Meki who is the uh, CEO and founder for the Center of Black Educator Development. He's based in Philly. I could go on for a while about the things that uh, Sharif is doing. I'm going to let him talk a little bit to me about that, though, in a moment. But he's, uh, he's a nationally recognized principal and principal ambassador fellow by the uh, U.S. Department of Education. Um, his school, the Mastery Charter School Shoemaker, was actually recognized by President Obama and Oprah Winfrey and was uh, given this prestigious Epic Award for three consecutive years uh, for being among the, the top three schools in the country, uh, accelerating students' achievement levels. And so he's doing some great stuff in Philly, and people are watching and looking, trying to learn as much as they can. And so that's why I invited him today. Um, welcome, Sharif. Thank you. Appreciate uh, the invitation, Dr. Perkins, and congratulations. You're almost on a decade of, of work. And yeah, yeah. It, it, has been, yeah. it has been a great, great experience. Thank you. And, uh, of course, couldn't do it without a great audience. We have an audience every week of thousands of, of um, educators around the, around the globe, actually, um, you know, I was so surprised recently we had, well, you know, now in the, in the age of podcasts, you get to see where people are logging on from and listening. And so we have people from all over the globe. And so it's exciting. And, and so people like you make this happen um, in such a way that uh, people tune in. And so, um, I, you know, I, there's so many well, questions I have for you and, and things I want to I want to ask you about. But I, like I said in the beginning, I, I want to thank you and also congratulate you on the work that you've been doing for quite a while on behalf of, of, of historically disadvantaged and underserved um, uh, children and their families uh, in in the Philly area. And um, I, I, I'm so interested in learning more, um, so I'd love to hear first about um, this Center for Black Educator Development that you, that you founded, um, what kinds of things you do, and, and, and what you look to do in the future. No, absolutely, and thanks again for having me on. Um, yeah, so we, a team of us really wanted to build a national black teacher pipeline. I, I should really say rebuild it, right? We know mm-hmm. um, that there was a time when there was a, a uh, black teacher pipeline that educated our youth. Uh, often they did it independently. They did it with less resources. 
And we wanted to see, like, what would it look like if we could refashion that um, mm-hmm. based off of those, you know, those shoulders that we stand mm-hmm. on, that we lean on, that we learn from. Um, and so the Center for Black Educated Development is basically four pillars in an effort to build this national black teacher pipeline. One is around policies and advocacy. You know, what, what are uh, policies that can support um, instead of undermine a black teacher mm-hmm. pipeline? Uh, secondly, mm-hmm. professional learning. What are all the, the, the coaching and the mentoring, the workshops, just the learning in general that we all should do if we are uh, choosing to educate uh, our children and other people's children? Like mm-hmm. what, what are the, the mindsets that are necessary? Uh, the third one, uh, we call these P's or pillars, right? So policy, professional learning. The third one is uh, pedagogy. And we recognize mm-hmm. that so many teachers who teach our children um, have a construct that's different than what uh, we believe in. Uh, so they're, they're often centered only in European and white-centric uh, history, uh, mm-hmm. educational theorists, behavior theorists who, who are white or um, white American and European, and they're <laughs> trying to uh, use that as the only pedagogical framework that should be used. Um, to teach black and brown children. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we uplift black pedagogy. What were, what were black educators doing to educate their, their students? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then mm-hmm. fourth is the pipeline. And so engaging high school and college youth uh, to consider teaching, to give them not only the, uh, the early exposure, but a clinical experience uh, through the Freedom Schools model and so we have Freedom Schools Literacy Academy where high school and college students learn how to teach, and they do this by teaching first, second, and third graders, particularly around positive racial identity and the science of literacy. So uh, wow. that is a summer program. We're hoping to expand it to after school. But those are the four P's, the four pillars that our center is built wow. on. Yeah, that's, that's Policy, professional learning, pedagogy, and pipeline. Powerful, powerful. Um, so now are you – connected with any of the schools of education, particularly in some of our HBCUs, and you know, there, uh, you know, a lot of our HBCUs started out as um, teacher colleges, right? You know, teacher that's colleges, what, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. They were, they I were. I got my master's degree okay. from one of them, Cheney University, you know. Okay. So, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, are, are so you, you know, are you, we're, we're grateful to have those type of partnerships. Um, you know, Cheney, before the pandemic, they would host the trainings that we would do for high school and college students in, in uh, you know, Cheney, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, Cheney, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, you know, we are working with uh, women's committees and supporting and in partnerships and conversations with Howard and Morehouse and uh, Dell State. And, you know, a lot of our students come from, you know, these Teacher apprentices, many of them are coming from HBCUs. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, 100% agree with you that many of them have their foundations in uh, supporting, developing uh, teachers, uh, mm-hmm. black teachers. And so we want to, you know, we're in partnership with them uh, mm-hmm. in order to continue to build this pipeline. Sure, sure. So now tell me, how did you start? In education, were you did you always know that you wanted to be a um, an educator, or 
you know, like some of us, myself uh, particularly included, um, found out later that it was it's more of a call. And you know, when when that when that call comes for you, it's hard to to ignore. Um, how did you start out in education? I mean, you're doing such great work, and 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 actually the the foresight to be thinking about recruiting and training and hiring. But most importantly, retention of 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 educators. Um, were you were you always um, you know knowing that you were going to be an educator? No, Dr. Perkins. I think my story is similar to yours. You know, I did not uh, even consider teaching. It wasn't something that I crossed off my list. It wasn't even something that was on my list as a career. Uh, mm-hmm. But fortunately, you know, we have our our mentors and folks who see something in us. And uh, I was on my way to law school. Uh, that's where I wow. thought um, I would, you know, I would work. Uh, and I think, interestingly enough, I knew I wanted to be an activist, though. And so mm-hmm. I, I did have that um, to draw from. I, and I just thought through the, you know, uh, as my friend Michael Kord says, I, I thought I would be working in the injustice system to expose, <laughs> you know, um, the injustices. Mm-hmm. And uh, a woman by the name of uh, Mama Cynthia uh, mm-hmm. reached out one day and said, hey, they're, they're recruiting black men to teach. Now, Mama Cynthia was my best friend in middle school, uh, Sakini. She was his, he was, she is his mother. Wow. And so she reached out and said, like, hey, I think you, you should go to this meeting. And my initial reaction was, Mama Cynthia, I don't want to be a teacher. And, but, you know, she was a mama in our community, so you, yeah. you listen to your elders. And so, you know, I went much to oblige her. But when I got there, I met this black man, veteran educator in the school district of Philadelphia named Dr. Martin Ryder. Okay. And Dr. Martin Ryder talked to me about, you know what, this activism that you want, you're pursuing, you can find that by teaching, um, you know, teaching well. And the yes. purest form yes. of activism is teaching black children well. And That's so right. that my attention. But once yeah. I started teaching, man, I fell in love with it. So mm-hmm. law school has been um, has been deferred for almost 30 years now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I certainly understand and identify with that. And I, you know, I, I have often been in, um, in the presence of people who, whether they are school board members or, or, or community uh, uh, elected officials, and I tell them all the time, um, stop telling people to uh, to get a degree in education or get their certification as a fallback. I know you you've probably heard people say that you know that you can mm-hmm. you, you'll yeah. always be able to get a job, so do it as a fallback. And I tell them stop telling people that. Now we need good quality uh, people in education, but not people that there are enough people that are that have done it as a fallback and do it as a fallback um and and we don't need people that can't do anything else and my thing is is that that we go back to telling our young people that it is a noble cause the activism i love what you said about the activism um that you can do activism by changing young minds and young brains and hearts um, at a very young age. Um, and that is the pure form of activism that let's, you know, let's make sure that we uh, encourage them 
uh, to see what education is like. I didn't hear that. I was a young man, um, uh, uh-huh. that, and, and I'm sure you same way you were probably good in history and writing and, and English and other things. And he said, hey, you should be a lawyer. Um, same with me. I was good at math and science, and so you should be a doctor. And, um, and so I think, and that's the reason I think what you're doing is so, so important, um, particularly the work that you've been doing around black males and the retention, but also the recruiting. Um, tell me a little bit more about um, that component where you, the focus that you have, I know you're, you're doing recruitment and training and, and retention kind of broadly, but you do have some I've seen several places where you focused right in on making sure that there are black males in education. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't realize this when I first uh, started teaching, you know, and I was at my uh, the school that I began my career uh, for 10 years. Uh, mm. And this number increased over over the time that I was there. But when I first arrived, it took me a minute, but then I realized I was the only full-time uh, black man leading a classroom. There, fortunately, wow. there were other black men in the school, and they were in leadership team, leadership positions, so they had hybrid roles. You know, maybe they uh, taught a class or two, and then they also had uh, some leadership roles that they had. And so, but it, initially, you know, you learn how to teach, and you go into the faculty meetings, you're meeting everybody, and realize, like, you know what, I'm the only only teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. Years later, in, in 2014, um, you know, I was I was uh, wrapping up the my fellowship at the U.S. Department of Education, and one of the things that we had was a was a project, you know, kind of a capstone project. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted mm-hmm. to focus on black men because as I traveled the country um, and even internationally uh, as a delegate for the U.S., what I recognized was like, wow, there are a few men of color, you know, visited a First Nation community in in Mm -hmm. Canada um, Mm -hmm. uh, over in in near Banff. And, you know, they were also saying uh, something very similar. And I was like, you know what, I I think I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that, recognizing Mm -hmm. that, you know, only about 2%, a little less than that now, 2% of uh, public school teachers identify as black men. Uh, mm-hmm. So in 2014, started an organization called the Fellowship Black Male Educators for Social Justice, uh, wow. really to uplift, center, and build community for current and aspiring black uh, male educators. Mm-hmm. And what we recognized, so 17 black men, we were all from all over the country, uh, but we were all in Philadelphia serving in, in schools. Everybody was, you know, uh, doing good work, you know, respected in the community. And what we recognized that we had a similar story. And that was that not a single one of us, and these are 17 black men, mind you, mm-hmm. not a single one of us had been approached, invited into the teaching profession until after we graduated from college. Wow. Wow. And so that, that struck us like, wow, 17 black men, nobody was kind of recruited uh, right. or engaged or invited into this profession as important as we all view it to be. And... And we asked our colleagues, most of them were white women, the average response was third grade. So third grade Are you kidding? for the white women we were speaking to, our colleagues, saying like, yeah, that's when someone tapped me on the shoulder. That's when I, an adult engaged me about uh, teaching other people's children, wow. leaving the classroom, 
Um, wow. Being an, instruct, an instructor, for us, it was after we graduated college. And so we say, wow. you know what? It doesn't cost us a dime to make sure we at least introduce it into the conversation of our youth, particularly mm-hmm. our black boys, and connect the Absolutely. dots. Help them connect the dots. So when we saw, when we started going back to our schools, if we saw what we promised each other and what we started doing was if we saw a, a black youth doing something incredible, we would say, you know what? That's what the best teachers do. Hey, I heard, I thought you'd help your peer socially, mm-hmm. academically. You know what? That's what the best educators in the world do. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you for helping. And, you know, can you share your work? You know what? How you thought about this, how you're thinking about this, this metacognition, that's what mm-hmm. the best educators do. You know, wow. and I was yeah. It's like, you know what? I'm a principal, but I need you to come in and take this seat one day. I need you mm-hmm. to lead this school, right? And so starting mm-hmm. to even have those conversations. And, of course, we're going to – we're going to support our black youth and no matter what it is that they want to do to, you know, um, you know, advance and, and, and chase their aspirations. But we want to at least uh, introduce this idea of, you know, nation building through teaching, mm-hmm. activism, through, through educating black children well. We want to at least make sure that's part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, I mean, that, that is um, well – considered and an important work uh, that you're doing. Um, and I know that, you know, you've, you've had, you've been on the front line as well uh, and, and did some great work that um, you received national recognition. And I know people traveled from near and far to see what was happening in your school. So the, the mastery mm-hmm. charter, um, uh, mastery charter, tell me a little bit about how you started that and and what you know what was the real impetus behind um, your 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 success there? Yeah, you know, and and I would say the last uh, you know sixteen years of my career, I, I, altogether, I was in uh, leading classrooms and schools for twenty six years. Mm-hmm. In those twenty six years, I was only in three schools, and so I, I really had the opportunity to go deeper. Uh, you know, not that I'm biased or anything, but all three of those schools mm-hmm. were in West or Southwest Philadelphia, and I grew up gotcha. in West Philly. You know, West Philadelphia, yep. born and raised. I'm sure you know the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the last 16 were in turnaround schools, you know, so schools that had been historically, um, you know, miseducating uh, children for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, my last, my entire principalship were, was in that kind of role. Um, you know, so some of the things I saw, I was pretty naive when I entered the profession as a teacher. Um, as I said, I was there for 10 years, started as a teacher in the last year with the assistant principal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I moved on to become a principal of a school that was, had been really, really struggling. I uh, was in the newspaper for negative uh, things, and, um, and I just really started seeing like there was a lack of equity. And we also talk about lack of equity between one district and another. Um, you know, one, one, uh, you know uh, one state or across county lines and things like that. But what I saw was this was uh, only about five, six blocks away, and it was uh, a, a world of difference. And so for me, the turnaround effort became real, you know, a passion of mine and uh, making sure that, you know what, students are the same, same community, same families, but what changed are often the adults and the mindsets 
uh, and then the expectations that go along with that, expectations for ourselves as well as, as what students are able to do, and then very different outcomes. And so that was kind of really our, our charge. And my last 11 years was at uh, Mastery Charter Shoemaker Campus, and I went there uh, really grateful to be able to serve a school in my own community, my own neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. in walking distance of, of my home and my mother's home where I grew up. Uh, you know, this school was a bit, was initially a middle school, and it used to feed into the high school that I graduated from, Overbrook High School. Uh, but wow. during the turnaround effort, they they kept adding a grade, or we kept adding a grade, so it could become a standalone 7th through 12th grade school. Mm-hmm. And 2011 was our first graduating class, and so now here they are a decade later, uh, you know, that we were just doing some of them were talking about a, having a reunion, which they, you know, because of the pandemic, didn't get scheduled, but now looking forward to seeing them again, seeing what they've accomplished. Uh, but to, for me, this, that turnaround effort, uh, there should be no school where a grandparent can say, you know what, I didn't, I tried to avoid that school for my child, and mm-hmm. now I'm trying to avoid that school for my grandchildren. And unfortunately, right. there are too many schools um, that have suffered that kind of, uh, you know, uh, experience. Oh, no, you, you know, are um, exactly in communities right. that had those type of experiences. Oh, yes, you are exactly right. In fact, some years ago, um, I, I did some um, urban school climate research, um, did um, surveys all over the U.S. and asked about school, um, school experiences from the perspective of students, parents, teachers, leaders. Um, and I never will forget that one of the surveys that was returned uh, was from uh, in the Northeast. There was a district that participated, and it was a middle school. And one one parent wrote in the comment section, I went to this school, and I was bullied. I knew that my kid would suffer the same. You know, and I, it was just like, wow, you know, like generational issues that, that, that haven't been addressed. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and so I'm just um, uh, excited that you have, um, you've been recognized as uh, someone that is, is trying to do something about that. And I know it's not easy. Um, and, and in fact, not easy you know, and not alone <laughs> and not right, right, right. And it you is, know, it is can be done individually. Right, right. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that there are uh, a lot of people don't recognize that, you know, the, the wisdom that is in the African proverb that it takes a village, um, that <laughs> we, you know, that we have so many resources we have to bring them together so that um, you know these kinds of things don't happen, um, which is a is a great place. I know we you know this is, I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to you, and I, I want to make sure we get to uh, one of the main reasons I invited you was about a piece that you blogged about uh, some time ago, which is about um, teacher expectations. Um, and right. that matching what our black students' potential is. And um, I know you've already put that out there, but the reason that that really resonated with me is that um, I, I want people to know and hear a, a 
a wide range of, of people and perspective across the nation, different locales, to hear what we, we know to be true is that uh, often it is a self-fulfilling pro- uh, uh, prophecy um, where if you don't think much of the children you're educating, um, you're not going to get a lot. Um, and, and that I like the way you approach this is that where what you, what you advocate for is that, that not just what you expect is enough, but that it's about um, really having expectations that match their potential. So, you know, kind of the sky's uh-huh. the limit here is that so don't, don't you know, kind of arbitrarily impose some, some level of expectation on them. Look at what the student's potential really is and then have expectations that match that. I, I you know, I, I was really uh, pleased to read that. Um, and I wanted to know um, a little bit more about what kind of work you're doing around helping move that, you know, kind of move that, that, that needle for where teachers, how do you get teachers to, to have expectations that truly match black students' potential? No, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, mindset is the foundation for everything, um, whether it's effective teaching or if it's poor instruction. Uh, you can trace it back to the mindset. It's like little breadcrumbs. Uh, that will lead back to no matter what the outcomes are, you can you can trace it back to like okay, what's the mindset of the adult that's responsible in this in this space, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that I phrased it was a lot of times people are talking about the achievement gap, and they're blaming students for it. You know, they're blaming children mm-hmm. or they're blaming families, uh, not recognizing that plenty of children co- actually come to school whole, but it's after mm-hmm. 13 years of of being you know, oppressed and miseducated, uh, you know, within a school, within a district, within a, the ecosystem, that they they feel less than, you know. Um, but they came whole. They came feeling loved. They came excited about learning. Mm-hmm. And what happens, though, when educators, predict, you know, whether they're in school or outside of the school, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the district, what does the ecosystem do to a child that's, hungry to to learn, that is expecting to learn, that felt loved um, within their community, but then they come to a space that almost seems foreign. They become mm-hmm. aliens in their own neighborhood school. Um, so what does, that, what does that mean? And so that gap often, while it's often only looked at as, oh, this is where black and brown children, uh, you know, here's their outcomes compared to white children, uh, students should be compared to their own potential, and then the yeah. gap is actually usually adults' mindsets about mm-hmm. that child, about the parents who sent them there, about the community, about their history, their their people's contributions. All of those things, you know, uh, reveal. No matter what someone's mouth say, their mindset will come out through how they plan, how they instruct, how they build culture, how they build relationships, or the lack thereof. All of that can be tapped into or traced back into uh, the mindset. So for us, mm-hmm. the professional development, the, the reflection points, the coaching, it centers around that because we believe mindset, skills, and will is the trifecta. Mm-hmm. You know, and those mm-hmm. are the things that, that bind whether, you know, uh, effective instruction, 
a culture of learning, culture of support, culture of respect is, mm-hmm. is happening or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for mm-hmm. us, we, we recognize that this is, this is an a integral part of a black pedagogical framework, how we mm-hmm. learn, intergenerational learning, community learning, uh, uh, the village method. All of that is, is absolutely crucial to, you know, our, our state of being and how we educate our children and how we embrace and take on the responsibility to deliver on the promises that we make to, to our community members. But if you look right. at that community as foreign to you, as not, I'm not a part of this community, I'm here uh, to teach but not to educate, <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm here to mm-hmm. do the schooling, but I don't care about the learning. Right. If we, if that's the mindset, if that constricted thinking uh, becomes pervasive in a classroom, a school, a district, the system, um, then the students are going to be oppressed in that in that framework. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I love what you said about a culture of of respect um, that is not just on as we often hear. It's not just on students to respect teachers. It's, it, it works both ways. Um, Absolutely. It, it, is, it is something that a lot of places, meaning um, the, the teacher training institutions, don't spend enough time talking about the importance of mutual respect in, in the, oh, in yeah. the classroom. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about mutual respect in the workplace, right? You hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, I've never understood why that never made it with the level of, of energy and emphasis um, when you're talking about a classroom as well. Now, there's some teachers, yeah. and I, I'll be the first to admit it, that get it, they do it well. Um, and that's the reason I started what I said earlier was that, um, you know, really, I, I never really understood it. And you someone um, was on a different trajectory as I was, um, that it is, it, is, it is a call to do this work because a lot of times it is thankless work, um, and we have to make sure that we go back and do some of the same things. We need to reach back and start encouraging um, our young people at very early ages that when we see potential them, uh, it's great talk about doctors and lawyers owners, but we also talk about educators um, that are part of our, our community and it's just just such a heartwarming uh, to see that that's where you're putting your, your energy as well. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that and, and you know, you raise up so many uh, good points, right? You know, whether uh, our educators, are they looking for compliance or cooperation? You know, are they mm-hmm. looking for Compliance or trying to build community, and mm-hmm. I, I think you know we if people you know in the freedom schools tradition it's uh, that the the mentors the elders the educators their their job is to train their replacement. Now imagine mm-hmm. if every educator looked at a child as you know what you're I, you're my replacement and I need you to be mm-hmm. able to do what I do but better faster mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. be stronger be smarter. Suppose we all, suppose students all experience that, that people actually looked at them as, as them and, and an improvement upon them, mm-hmm. you know, their replacement. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. too many times students experience educators who look at them as 
as other. You know, so they feel othered in the curriculum. They feel othered in the classroom. Um, And often, you know, while I pay a lot of attention to who's leading the classroom, we also pay a lot of attention to who taught them how to teach, Mm -hmm. who taught them how to teach black and brown children, who taught them about black history, who taught them about black curriculum and black pedagogical framework and how Mm -hmm. education has always been absolutely important in our uh, communities, that we we wouldn't risk life and limb. And before that, trace it back to the continent, we were at, we had schools. We had an educational system. That's right. That's they right. believed in in community learning and tra- and training and replacement, right? And so, not only who leaves the classroom, but who trained them how to teach? Mm-hmm. Who sent right. them to our community? That's and right. if you if you look at that, if you look at that uh, that that framework, that intellectual genealogy, and you see that there are many professors and teacher colleges mm-hmm. who don't respect the communities that they're so-called training teachers in. And if you look at the research, teachers, majority of teachers say, you know what, I'm not prepared to teach. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. been four or five years, and I'm not prepared. And particularly, I'm not prepared to teach black and brown children. Oh, the vast absolutely. majority of the teachers in this country are white. Um, places like Pennsylvania, that's 94% of the public school teachers are white. And wow. so we have to recognize that. It's not, we can't just wait till someone lands in the classroom, we have to be much more assertive in making sure that our children are safe intellectually, culturally, emotionally, spiritually, and one and know, like want to know, like what's this teacher's pedigree? Who taught mm-hmm. you how to teach my child? That's what right. framework are you drawing from? What do you believe in as far as relationships? What do you believe in when you're angry or frustrated? Like I wouldn't That's hear right. as a parent, I want to know what's your mindset when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when you're stressed out, what's your mindset about black children, black communities, right. black history? That's right. I want to probe all of that. And I, I challenge and, and invite all families as we're going back to school and we're meeting the educators of our children this year, we're going to back to school night, whatever it looks like, report card, any time and every time that we probe what are folks' mindsets about our children mm-hmm. um, and other people's children. Um, and Absolutely. I think that's, that would be a, a, a different type of start. Instead of us going to school for back-to-school night and just listening to all the rules and expectations, we go and we share, here's what our expectations are. Here's what Amen. my child's aspirations are. Have our child speak for themselves. And this is what we want. This is what we demand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the outcomes that we're looking for, and how can we partner together to make sure it happens. That's right. That's right. And 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 have a different set of outcomes that you that you want. Like we don't want to do what we did last year. Um, we need growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell oh, you. Oh yeah, know, people want to run and, back to normal, right? It's abnormal right. for many of our students. That's right. That's right. And and let me tell you, you know, I tell my students uh, that we're training to go into some of the nation's most challenging contexts as building leaders. I tell them what I want you to understand is that um, one year of growth from your teachers is not enough. When kids are coming Mm -hmm. to you four years behind in reading, three years behind, and so these are good. Those are good statistics right there. You know, four years behind, three years behind in reading and, and math, and and we are talking about making a year of growth. That's we can't do that. And so our expectation right. has to be we've got to come up with a plan 
to catch these kids up. And so that's, we're not, you know, we, we haven't uh, talked enough about that, that, um, and that's the, you see, that's the work I know that you did, and I wish we had more time, um, but I know that's the work you did and were recognized for accelerating students' achievement levels. You know, just mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. and as I, I did say, a year of growth, eh, I mean, what's that going to get me when my kid showed up in ninth grade on a fifth grade reading level. What's that going to get me by the time they finish? They're still not going to be where they need to be as a high school graduate uh, to go on and be successful in college or otherwise. So um, there's so much there wrapped in what you're, what you're talking about. And I, uh, again, thank you. Um, You know, our time went so fast. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and let me tell you, I, you know, once all of this uh, 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 pandemic is over, I'm, let me tell you, and maybe even before I'm going to get down to Philly and, um, and, and, and see what you guys are doing down there. I've heard such great things. Any way I can help out, uh, let me know in your center. Uh, be happy to uh, to help out, um, but I appreciate you, and I'm sure the family and the community there in West Philly is uh, they really uh, appreciate the work you're doing. Um, so next week, actually, so I want to I want to tell you about um, uh, our next uh, broadcast next week. Um, we have um, a a special update on what's happening in in Haiti. Um, we have uh, Gabriella Poyon, who is the Global Justice Clinic at NYU, uh, focusing in on, on, on Haiti, uh, is going to talk to us about that, what's happening in the wake of political and social disruption. We had this plan before the earthquake, and lo and behold, um, after the assassination of the president, now there's been an earthquake, and um, we, as we're entering the height of, of you know, um, uh, trouble weather. Um, we're just hoping the best for uh, the people of Haiti. Uh, but we have someone that's going to come and give us uh, a firsthand uh, uh, talk about what's actually happening there, unfiltered. And so I invite you to make sure you come in and, and hear that. That's going to be at uh, uh, 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern uh, next week. So just invite you to come back and, and be a part of that. Um, and I'm going to tell you, this has been a real plus for me today, uh, tonight. Um, and so uh, congratulations again on the work that you're doing. And just really uh, appreciate you coming on today and look forward to hearing more about the great things that you're doing. So uh, until we meet, go well and stay well. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, again, hopefully you can share our website uh, with the community. We'll be doing a national uh, campaign uh, moving forward, and hopefully folks can uh, chime in and, and share their support and their experiences with effective black educators. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Take care now. You too. Be well.